Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Hey, so uh, by nature, all of us love an underdog, don't we? Uh, I saw some underdogs win yesterday. Uh, we love movies that have underdogs. That's the reason we love movies like Rocky, until they do too many of the sequels, right? Then we don't really like it anymore. But, you know, we love that concept. We, remember, we love movies like Remember the Titans and Rudy and Braveheart and Star Wars and the recent Hacksaw Ridge. If you haven't seen that, it's an inspiring movie. We love seeing the most unlikely people do great things because it inspires us, Right? Uh, that's the reason today, even 37 years after, uh, we still consider the uh, 1980 Olympics U.S. hockey game uh, probably the greatest underdog story in American sports. Now, I know some of you weren't alive back then, but if you remember that time period, the USSR had soundly won Olympic gold for four Olympics in a row. They had won the World Cup, the World Championships. They had beaten that same USA team 10-3 to 3 two weeks earlier in the Madison Square Garden. In fact, they had even beaten the two teams that played the previous year in the NHL Stanley Cup Championship game. That's who they were up against. It was also a time when the U.S. was reeling from the Afghanistan war with the USSR and the uncertainty that brought to international relations. There was the Iran hostage crisis. There was the potential boycott of the Moscow Summer Olympics, and and the economy was headed south. It was a difficult time. And I can still remember sitting in my family room in Keister, Minnesota, watching TV, screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs at the TV when Mike Ruzioni scored the fourth go-ahead goal with 10 minutes in the game left to go. And yet there were still 10 long minutes left to go. I think if you were alive back then and you were watching, I I think we as Americans set an all-time record for a collective high blood pressure, those 10 minutes. It was an amazing moment. One of the things that leads us to feeling like we have lived a full life with a full heart is having experienced the overcoming of obstacles in our lives that are big, that maybe even seem impossible for us to overcome. We want to be that underdog who breaks through and wins in life. So last week we started the series, we're looking at David's life, and we did a quick overview of some of the seeds of greatness that God placed in him and talked about how those same seeds are actually in each and every one of us, and they, when they're cultivated, lead to a great life. Today we're going to look at one of the most widely known and longest-lasting underdog stories in all of human history, to learn some leadership and life lessons from it about how God wants us to live that full life and full heart. It's the story of David and Goliath. Who names their child Goliath? (laughs) Think about that. Even today, you never hear someone naming a kid Goliath. I've heard of people naming their dog Goliath because it makes it sound bigger and badder than it really is because usually it's a chihuahua, right? If you were to name your baby Goliath, uh, what comes to mind for me is is, it's this 13-pound baby. And the mom named it Goliath so that she would get constant pity for the rest of her life for having to have born that child. We know Goliath was huge as an adult. 
The text says he was nine foot nine inches tall. He was strong enough to wear 125 pounds of armor and to wield in a devastatingly effective fashion a long spear that was tipped with a 15 pound spear tip, all while holding a shield that likely weighed much more than that. Goliath's name itself is intimidating. The meaning of that name means that you are exposing vulnerability and sending people into exile. Those are the two kind of root meanings of his name. Jewish rabbinical history teaches that Goliath was the illegitimate child of Orpah. And if you remember the Old Testament history, this was the, the daughter-in-law of Ruth. When all of them lost their husbands, Ruth and one of the daughter-in-laws went back to Israel. And Orpah stayed behind. And rabbinical history says she became a woman of the street bearing illegitimate children who were scoffed at. So even as Goliath is challenging Israel, saying in 1 Samuel 17, Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? There is this sense of a chip on Goliath's shoulder, right? Knowing the Jews see him and have taunted him as inferior, feeling like the one who's treated less than, who needs to prove himself even personally as Goliath taunts the Israelites. So we see Goliath throwing the gauntlet down saying, choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if we overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. There's really some fierce anger and disdain going on here. And the text says, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And again, what I love about this story is there's so much raw emotion all around in this. But I also love the fact that every single one of us will face giants in life. Maybe not the same kind, but some of your giants are so big that you may have felt frozen for years avoiding them, feeling hopeless about growing in a certain area or overcoming a barrier in a certain area of your life. Many of our giants in life are not just big obstacles, but they are, like Goliath, also very personal offenses to us and personal things because of our life history. Maybe you had a a failed relationship and your giant is struggling to ever trust in that way again. Maybe you were hurt by a boss or an authority figure in your life and every time you face a similar situation, it feels the same and you struggle to deal with it effectively. Maybe your Goliath is your financial situation. It feels hopeless. Or maybe it's physical or medical issues and, or, 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 or you'd, you'd expect you, you had an experience in the past maybe even where you, where you were rejected by a religious authority or you were hurt by a religious authority. So it's, it's even hard for you to be in church this morning because it's hard for you to trust religious people. So if you're here and that's you, thank you for trusting us enough to be here today. If you were to distill this lesson of David into one statement, it would be this. If you allow your giant to paralyze you or cause you to run or cause you to distance yourself from it, you will end up being a slave to that giant. But if you learn, like David, to face your giant, you have a chance of overcoming it. Now, you know from your own life that if you ignore the financial problem you're facing, you won't defeat it, In fact, it will eventually defeat you, right? But something keeps you from facing that situation. 
See, as long as you run from a giant, a, a, a marriage problem that you have, and some of us here have giant marriage problems, you won't overcome it. As long as you run from a behavioral or discipline problem in your child, it will only get worse and lead potentially to lasting negative impact. As long as you run from the giant of maybe a weight problem or an anger problem or an anxiety problem or some sort of character problem, you will never defeat it. It's going to last. It's going to persist. And each day that giant will demoralize you to the point that someday you have no more courage left to face it at all. See, the only chance we have to defeat the giants in our lives is to face that giant head on. There's actually a pun in there if you know the story, but it's a really bad pun, so it didn't come across, right? That's the overly simplistic lesson of this story. The bigger question is really this. How do we face our giants successfully? See, this piece of David's life, I think, gives us two big insights, probably more than that, but two that we're going to talk about today, of how we face our giants. And I'm going to suggest that the first one is probably going to be a review for most of us. And the second one is going to be likely new to you. If you grew up in children's church hearing this story, you will have never heard what I'm about to tell you, most likely. David, having been already anointed to be the new king, of, new king by Samuel, is still at this time of his life primarily tending sheep. Three of David's brothers, we know in the story, have gone off to the battlefront with the army. And, and one day, uh, David's father comes to him and sends him on the 20-mile journey uh, to, with food to bring to his brother and the commanders. So he arrives, and the two armies are lining up for battle, and out comes Goliath. And in the story, Goliath begins, as we read, starting to spout challenge and defiance of Israel and Israel's God. All of Israel's soldiers are in, are in fear. And, and the text is really kind of interesting. It, it notes what they're mumbling about to each other in this moment. And it says this. It says, now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes. That sounds great, doesn't it? But this kind of sounds like playground talk from my growing up years when, you know, friends are trying to get the courage to go fight the enemy, but nobody wants to get punched or kicked or hit or, or beaten, whatever, right? And then we put this in the adult scale with the added bowman, so the winner having the lucky lotto deal where they get 1000 a day for life with no taxes and they marry the king's daughter. Can you hear them talking to each other, wishing... Wishing they were brave enough and strong enough to do it themselves, all the while hoping they can bolster the person next to them to go do it so they don't feel like they have to, but no one is moving. David shows up and he hears Goliath and responds differently. In it, we see a perspective that helps us overcome our giants in our lives. David says, David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David, we see in that, is interested in the reward, but, but his focus doesn't land there. So the, the situa this situation is not about David, about him. It's not about Goliath per se, not even about the army of Israel. David's bottom line in this is who is this that defies the armies of the living God? Who is this that dares defy God? 
And here's the first insight that David's giving us in how we overcome these giant things that we face in our life. It's always compare the size of your giant to the size and power of God. See, he doesn't start with self-perspective. What am I capable of and what am I not capable of? He also doesn't start with what others think. Look at his brother's perspective in this text. If you read it a couple of verses later, Eliab, remember he's this six foot eight buff Arnold Schwarzenegger guy with the vocal presence of Morgan Freeman and the good looks of him that we talked about last week. This is the, this is the brother who looks the part of all the leader and, and he finds out David is talking about Goliath and he confronts David's lack of realism of his own limits by saying, why have you come down here? And in who, and whom, with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. We think about it in life. Einstein was told he wouldn't amount to anything because his grades were C's. Helen Keller was told she'd never do anything because she was deaf and blind, and yet she learned to talk and inspired millions. See, if you are comparing your giant to you or to other people's beliefs about how you stack up against the circumstances instead of God, you will never leave the blocks in the race to overcome those giants in your life. The first question we need to ask ourselves to, uh, and focus on in order to successfully overcome these big things in our life is, who is God in relation to my Goliath, my giant. Many years ago, there was a young mother, a young stay-at-home mom with a couple of kids who came and shared with us devastating news. Uh, it was the devastating news that her husband had, unbeknown to her, been repeatedly unfaithful, and he came to her and announced that he was leaving her and divorcing her. She was facing a Goliath in her life. With immediate questions of housing and financial security and, oh, single parenting and what am I going to do for a job because I haven't been working for a while, uncertain future in so many ways, devastated on top of that by the betrayal of the person she had loved and trusted so deeply. Yeah, one of the interesting things about this woman was in her desperation, she had the wisdom to ask this question, who is God in relation to my broken marriage, the betrayal? and all the uncertainty of the future. See, how we think about God affects everything in how we live, especially how we face the most difficult things we face in life. Let's return to the text and look at the second insight of overcoming giants in our lives. So David is inquiring, about what will be done for the one who slays the giant who is defying God's armies. And eventually this inquiry lands him before King Saul himself. And David says to the king, let no one lose heart on account of this, this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, how? Saul replied, you? You can't do this. You don't have the resume to do that. You don't, you don't have the right kind of training to do that. And Goliath, he's, he's been a warrior since his youth and had the best, the best training every day of his life. And the Philistines in that day did indeed have a reputation for being a fearsome, well-trained military. And Goliath was like the delta force of the Philistines. 
In fact, Jewish historical writings also that are outside the Bible also talk about Goliath as being one who had prior to this led embarrassing raids against the Israelites on a number of, of occasions. So Goliath's reputation is extremely well known to the people. You see again the temptation in this to focus on David's lack and on the circumstances, not on God. And this time it's coming from the greatest authority of the day, the king himself. Can you imagine the pressure David is feeling? Do you feel that pressure that he's feeling in this story? We'll come back to that piece of the story in a moment. Finally, Saul says, okay, you can go fight him. So what do they do next to the shepherd boy who just arrived from a 20-mile journey to bring some food from home? Well, they try to dress him up in military garb. In fact, they try to dress him up in King Saul's armor. And David lets them do it, right? It appears at this moment, if you think about it, that David doesn't really have a real plan for what he's going to do in the next few minutes to face this giant. He's still thinking in the box of standard military practice and expectations of the day, as are everyone else. So they're dressing him up in King Saul's armor. Now, I want you to picture that for a minute with me. Saul is described in the Bible as a head taller than all the rest of the Israelites. And David is described as kind of a smaller, ruddy boy, probably around 15 or 16 years of age at this time. Imagine what that looks like for David to be wearing King Saul's armor. I think the text underplays the ridiculous, almost humor of this text in this moment. It says they dressed David in Saul's tunic, right? So imagine he's rolling up the sleeves because the sleeves are hanging down to his knees. So he has to roll them up to get them above his wrists so he can even see his hands, right? And he puts on the coat of armor on him. So imagine the body armor for a six foot six person being put on a person who's probably at the most five foot five and likely at least a hundred pounds lighter. And a bronze helmet on his head. So think extra large adult baseball helmet on the smaller head of David, probably flopping down, covering his eyes when he nods his head, right? You get the picture? And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around in them, right? Well, of course this isn't going to work. I mean, what is David thinking? What are they thinking? They're all thinking within the box of the norms of the culture of the day, the military honor and tradition of the day. In that day, it was not uncommon for champions of two armies to face each other, either to begin a battle, just kind of like the pre-battle entertainment, or to even decide the battle rather than having the armies fighting each other and everybody killing so many people, right? And this is what the text indicates is actually going on with Goliath coming out in this moment. And the other norm in that instance is that you would also send out a person who would do hand-to-hand combat with a sword, a spear, and a shield. Everyone knew that was the norm and the expectation. No one questioned it, not even David at first. Thus, David letting him dress him up, right? 
All the while this is going on, David sees God as bigger. He's sensing God is leading him to take on this battle. He's, He's willing to do it according to the norms of the day, even though he knows and everyone else knows that doesn't make a lot of sense, that it would be an absolute miracle if David won the battle with him slogging around in this army that he armor that he can barely carry, that's too big for him, swinging a sword he isn't used to against a giant who swings a spear tipped with a 15 pound tip like a fly swatter, right? So what does David do with all the discomfort of being dressed up like this? David takes all the garb off and he goes back to what he knows. The story goes on in 1 Samuel 17 to show how David picked up five smooth stones from the brook And then he took his slinger that he always carried with him as a shepherd. That's kind of their version of a slingshot. And he went out to meet Goliath, his armor bearer, all dressed to the hilt in in the best armor of the day. And while David is just simply in his smelly, sweaty shepherd's work clothes. And what we've always been taught is that the miracle is that David, the small boy with a stone, beat Goliath. There's a miracle that he actually made that hit in one stone. I get that. I get that. But there's an interesting, Malcolm Gladwell, who many of you may be familiar with, he wrote the book Tipping Point and Blink and other best-selling leadership books, did a book recently called David and Goliath. And the premise of it is how do people overcome great odds? How do people overcome giants in their life? And Gladwell did extensive research into the ancient military tactics and discovered that even in David's time, it was well known that a slinger could beat an infantryman like Goliath. In fact, a good slinger could kill somebody from 200 yards away. See, we're always taught that the miracle in this passage is this little boy with this little sling beating this great giant. But that, but that isn't really the miracle. I mean, there is a, an element of miracle. I don't want to take that fully away, but that isn't really the big miracle going on in this passage. In a sense, what is happening in this moment is David brought a gun to a knife fight if you really understand the history of it. So before, but, but, but now I know that raises another question because it did, especially when, when Wendy helped me read this this last week. She said, she said, this just brings up, it makes you think of David as a rule breaker. But, so before you think of David as just a rule breaker, think revolutionary war for a moment. Today we look back on how Americans fought the British and we think, well, yeah, hide behind trees and rocks and bushes and stone walls. I mean, we think the concept of having men all line up in a line and walk out towards each other and stand there politely while somebody else shoots at you is just insane, right? But that was the military tradition and the culture that was dictated during that time the honorable way to do things. See, just like the military tradition in David's time dictated that this should have been hand-to-hand combat. See, the point is sometimes, I I think the miracle that we all need to face sometimes in relation to our giants is sometimes God wants to lead us to overcome our giants by challenging the way we have always thought about it, felt about it, and acted in a situation. See, the miracle is David's faith in God and his belief in God had called him to face this giant uh, and that God had called him to face this giant allowed David to get out of the box of the expectations that we all have from the way our cultures raise us. 
See, we've all grown up in ways that we've been taught to communicate or relate to others or act towards others from early childhood on. We know nothing different. See, some of the giants in our lives are unslayable because we can't see another way of doing things. It's all we have ever known. The expectations of everyone around us, of our own selves, keep us in a box, and that doesn't allow us to see how God wants to do something different and teach us something different in this moment. See, part of growing into the great good that God has designed for us requires that we break out of those boxes, allowing God to challenge the boxes of our lives, and that is really uncomfortable. It's sometimes awkward to us because it's a total new way of feeling and thinking and acting about life, and it's often hard for us to do. See, David starts by believing God is bigger through him. But then he spends the next little moment getting fitted to the norms, the expectations in Saul's armor. The whole time, David is uncomfortable and asking the question, what do you want to do in this situation, God? And then in ditching the armor and grabbing the sling, he violates everything everybody says he should do. In fact, we even see Goliath angry in this text for him violating the rules of engagement by in verse 44 saying, come here. And essentially, if you read that in the context, what what Goliath is saying is, don't stand so far away from me. Be a man. Come and fight. Right? But David returns to his faith in God, helping him overcome social and military norms. And David says to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. See, as people, as cultures, we create boxes. Often change and victory comes because we allow God to give us the creativity to go outside of those boxes and learn something new and act new. Gladwell actually gives an illustration of this, citing the work of Ivan Eriquin Toft, who analyzed the wars of the past 200 years. And he said in those, uh, what he came to the conclusion was in the one-sided battles where one side had 10 times the population as the other, the larger country won 71.5% of the time. However, when the smaller country got out of the box and fought unconventionally, the smaller country won nearly two-thirds of the time. See, in all of our relationships, we have grown up with don't talk, don't feel, and don't trust rules. Now, we've talked about that in the past. We did a whole message on that in the past. This is just let me illustrate it. It's like some of us, we grew up thinking it was okay to be angry over sports, but it was never okay to be angry over dad's drinking problem or whatever the problem was. There are certain rules around what we can and cannot feel and what emotions are accepted and how we talk in certain situations. So we have these expectations we live with that often keep us defeated in our relationships. But it's hard to overcome because it's all we've ever known. Marriage is one of the best things to bring out those fights. If you've been married any time, you know marriage is going to bring out those don't talk, don't feel, don't trust rules. It's going to come out in a fight most of the time. We also have these formulas for success in business. But what if those formulas aren't working in the moment? We have formulas we get trapped in regarding our faith. Just do this and this way and don't do that and everything will be good, right? 
What are the ways in which you get caught in formulas for your faith, for your relationships, for your work? If you just do this, then God will bless me. See, the more we grow in praying for healing and miracles, and which we all want, right? The more we will be tempted to form boxes. I prayed these words in this kind of way, and God answered the prayer for healing, so I'm always going to pray with these words in this kind of way, right? I fasted and did these spiritual practices, and my prayer was answered, so I must always do these things in order to get whatever I want answered to happen. But that's not the way relationships work. If you do your faith the same way every single time, life will turn into a box for you. But God wants real relationship. He doesn't want formula relationship. God isn't a vending machine that we put a buck in, we push the button, and we get the same thing out in the same way every single time. How did God measure up to the Goliath of the unfaithful spouse I talked about earlier? What did God want for this woman to do? In her situation, the traditional box of having been betrayed by an unfaithful spouse and divorced by them, and the Bible says it's, it's, it's fine to move on. It's, it's perfectly good to get remarried. That's all fine to happen. But, but for this young woman, this now or this single mom, the Holy Spirit kept telling her, to do something different, something that others told her was not a good choice. And for some people, it might not be a good choice. That's kind of the point of the illustration. God kept telling her to love this guy and pray for him and believe that their marriage would be restored. And she did that for over a decade before they got remarried and eventually had a very happy, lasting marriage. See, the story of David gives us insight in another way as well that God helps us get out of the box. David at the moment was wired as a shepherd, not as a great military person. Later he learned all the military skills and changed, but, but God wants you to slay your giants now, being who you are now, even if that means you do it in a different way than everybody else does it. How has God prepared you to face your giant today. See, in David's case, the giant came up quickly. He was just planning on going on a 20-mile trip and dropping off food and saying hi. He wasn't planning on fighting anybody when he went out there. But the preparation for Goliath, unbeknown to David, was something God had been doing in his entire life all along. Remember earlier in the story when Saul said, you can't do this? Here's David's response. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear uh, came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David wasn't used to wearing armor, but he was used to wielding a lighter sword, and he was very used to using this sling to ward off predators and would-be predators, right? This pulls into last week's lesson that we talked about 
how God wants to work in lessons through us in obscurity and, and being faithful in the details, winning little battles all along the way. God orchestrates those little battles in his patience and kindness to prepare us for every single big battle we will ever face. See, David in this moment recognizes maybe like never before as he's trying to walk around in Saul's uncomfortable armor that God has been in those times that he chased those predators off by slinging stones at them, by grabbing the fur and striking them down to save sheep. Think about it. David has probably slung tens of thousands of stones over the years tending sheep. I know in a video game world that, that may, this may sound boring, but one of my favorite pastimes as a child when we went to the lake was to grab a friend, throw a stick in the, water, in, in the lake, and then we'd throw rocks and see who could hit the stick ten times first, and then we'd win. Sometimes we made it more complicated. We'd imagine we were in this massive World War II naval battle, and so we'd grab a boatload of sticks each. We'd all throw our ten sticks out, and whoever could hit the other person's sticks first won the battle. It was just a fun way of doing things, right? I suspect David was confident with a sling because watching the sheep can be long and boring. They're just sitting out there in a pasture. So he's probably sitting out there picking up rock after rock after rock, slinging it at branches and flowers and boulders and rabbits and squirrels and over and over and over again, passing the time, having target practice and competitions with the other shepherds while they're watching the flock. See, those little battles in life, those little things in life where we're bored, God is often preparing us for the big things. So maybe some of you feel called to a leadership position in a work setting or, 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 or starting your own business, and for whatever reason, that next step makes you feel really, really uncomfortable. You don't feel like, you, don't feel like you have the right personality for it, and it's intimidating. It's a giant in the way of where God wants to take you. God is inviting you to trust his promise and help you get out of the box. There are ways for you in your personality to lead. Yeah, you'll need to grow, right? But God has designed you to do what he's called you to do. It may look different than somebody else. Gladwell in his book also notes Martin Luther King in Birmingham knew he could not win against the hostile police force. But he knew he had a destiny to bring greater equality and peace and freedom from God. And he knew that by not fighting, instead peacefully protesting, that it would provoke the police and result in a win, which it did. This picture of a police dog attacking a non-aggressive protester went viral back then and made more difference than almost anything in their fight. What is your giant? As Wendy and I are thinking about our giants and who God is this week, uh, we remember the story of Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, she's a Nazi concentration camp survivor. They were Christians, and their family was all in prison for hiding Jews. Betsy died shortly before the Allies liberated Ravensbrück camp. And I've shared this story several years ago, but Corrie's life is one of these that's filled with facing giants. And, and let me let you hear the rest of the story today in Corrie's words. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel outseers, guards in the concentration camp. 
And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom wants him here forgiven. Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5, 5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, Brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. Corey knew her giant was, she couldn't forgive. But she sized her giant to God and choosing to remember who he was to her. And chose to extend her hand and face the giant of forgiveness. And some of you may face that same giant of forgiveness in your own life. Others, you have different giant. What's your giant? What's your giant that you're facing? See, the victory for David and the victory for Corey had little to do with them. It had everything to do with who God was and the size of their God and their willingness to step out and trust that God to show up. Trusting God and getting out of the box may mean for you that the answer to your giant might look different than you expect, different than you want. It may look like the betrayed wife we talked about earlier where, where, where the timing of it is completely different than you want and takes longer than you ever imagined. But God didn't create you to live in defeat and fear. He wants you to live in peace and moving forward and growing in life. And facing the giant for David was a process. It was questions. It was statements of faith in God. It was trying things on and experiencing awkwardness and discovering ways that didn't fit for him and letting God use the process to shape him and step out into that field and defeat the giant. But for all of us, it is 
Are we willing to step out with faith in God? Let's stand today. Where is God inviting you to step out and face a giant in your life today? Would you just reflect on that as we continue to worship? And Lord, we ask that your presence would come and that you would take each and every one of us and that you would expose even those giants that we've allowed to be there so long that, that, that it's crushed the courage completely out, that it's dead, that we don't even realize it's there anymore. Lord, would you bring us today to the giants you desire us to face, this week to the giants you desire us to face. And would you help us face them, trusting you that you are a God who's big enough to do this and that you are a God who's prepared us for this moment. Lord, I just pray for breakthrough in people's lives here. I pray for freedom to see things differently. Jesus' name. Would you continue to worship? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.